I think about teachers, um, they're, they're really like everyday heroes in some ways. Uh, my, my wife, Angela, when we first met, she was teaching. She was teaching fifth and sixth grade at a school in Denver. And, um, you know, I, she would tell me about getting up early and getting to school before the kids got there, staying after, after they left. She would go uh, to parents' homes when they couldn't make it in for parent-teacher meetings. Um, she would be an advocate for the kids in the challenged environment that they were growing up in in, in inner-city Denver. And uh, it was just great to meet her and see how she gave herself to that work, invested her heart. She was really a hero to me, and many of you are in that way. But, it, but even our heroes have uh, challenges and weaknesses, heroes. We think about superheroes in the movies. They always have some kind of fatal flaw that gets them in trouble. You think about Superman. He had his kryptonite, uh, Green Lantern. Anybody know what Green Lantern's weakness is? Anybody know? Yellow, yes, anything yellow. So Green Lantern doesn't like yellow, so not a Packers fan. That'd be a problem for him. Um, you know, you think about Aquaman. What's Aquaman's weakness? Yeah, the Southwest. He needs water, you know, to really have his power. Iron Man had a weakness. What was Iron Man's weakness? Anyone know? He had metal in his heart. Remember, he had these shards of metal. Well, you could also say his weakness was pride. He kind of had some problems with pride. Iron Man did. Uh, so, so we're going to look this morning at a, a hero in the Old Testament, someone that could have been a superhero, someone that could have done incredible things, and yet uh, he kind of missed what God was calling him to. He had some fatal flaws and things that got him in trouble uh, instead of freeing the people from oppression, his spiritual apathy kept them caught under the, the control of another nation. See, God, what God wanted to do in the Old Testament, we see God's plan. He wanted to call out a group of people to live in a different way in this world. He wanted to call out a chosen nation, a, a gathered community that would look to him as their creator and sustainer and father. And Jehovah began with Abram and his family. And he said, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to bless you in such a way that you will be a blessing to the, the whole world. So I want to call you. I want you to follow me and live with me so that I can work through you and bless your neighbors and your family and those around you that the whole world might be blessed. This was God's plan. And what we see happening in the Old Testament and even in our lives today is, is it's kind of the story that we see happening over and over again, that the called out and chosen people of faith settle into habits and rhythms of the broken and rebellious and sometimes even hateful people around them. Instead of standing out like light and darkness, their brilliance is drained and they no longer have any spiritual light to bring to those around them. They look and sound just like the broken people and fallen cultures that surrounded them in the ancient world. And so God would call out leaders from time to time in the Old Testament to lead the people into a different kind of life, into a different type of example. And so the judges, the book of Judges is about these called out ones that God raises up to lead the people back to freedom and back to himself. And the last judge we read about in the book of Judges is a guy named Samson. And uh, we're going to look at his story together this morning. Two weeks ago, we looked at his origin story in Judges 13, how God had even before he was born, he was called out and unique. And this morning, we're going to flip through the pages of his life and see that, that Samson may have been externally powerful, but internally he was, he was weak. His, his arms and back had muscle ripped through them, but his heart, his heart was empty and lost. And his weakness could be summed up with one word, really, and it was pride. The pride that he had uh, tripped him up in several different ways. It took his trust in God. It broke his self-control. Uh, self it stole his faith. And so we're going to lean into that this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Judges 14. And we're going to look at uh, three different chapters this morning. We're going to kind of skim our way through three chapters, uh, Judges 14, 15, and 16, and look at these different stories in Samson's life. And because it's so much 
uh, story we're talking about. I've, I've got three kind of icons I want to share with you this morning, three icons to kind of anchor ourselves to the different movements in Samson's story. And so it's the bee, the fox, and the razor. And, and these are going to be images that help us kind of grab onto handholds as we go through his story. And each icon has a main statement that Samson said that reveals to us the posture of his heart and, and the pride of his life that is slowly pulling him down. As we go through this story, we see his pride come up. My hope is that by the time we finish, you're going to see there's ways to work through pride, to find a different kind of life, to live in a different way with grace and mercy, and to see God move in your life in some good ways. So Judges 14, we're going to start with verse 1 and read verses 1 through 4 as we move into kind of the active story of Samson's life. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah and there saw a young Philistine woman When he returned to his father and his mother, he said, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Seems like something that he should take on. But he says, mom, dad, you go get her. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all the people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? They're saying there are people around you that share our values and share our faith that God has called out. Don't you want to find someone that's that believes as you believe. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And then verse four is this parenthetical statement. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for all that they had done, that they were ruling, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So the Philistine people had moved back into the land and become rulers over the people of God. They had put the people of God under their thumb. And for 40 years, they have subjected them to paying tributes and, and kind of just whatever whim they had, they would make the people do. And, and, and the people of God were suffering under them until they were fully submissive to them. And this is why Samson's parents say, hey, can't you find a different woman to pursue? They weren't discriminating here racially or culturally. They were saying, we want you to connect with someone who shares our values, someone who is called out by God the way we are called out by God. In the Old Testament, you see people outside of Israel coming to understand that there is one true God and welcomed into the family of faith of Israel, even though they weren't Israelites by birth. And they say, can't you find someone that shares our beliefs and values. And in the New Testament, we see this repeated as Paul writes to the early church. And he says, don't yoke yourself with someone who doesn't believe as you believe. He says, don't connect your heart to someone else who doesn't have the values and and they're not following Christ Jesus the way that you are. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, how can light and darkness live together? And that's what Samson's parents are saying. Can't, Can't you find someone who shares our faith? And he says, no, no, I want her, get her for me. She's the right one for me. That's kind of the key statement around this first icon, the first B icon. We're going to get to the B in just a second. But that statement we hear Samson say there, get her, she's the right one for me. She's the right one in my eyes. She's the one that I'm looking for. And we're reminded that throughout the book of Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes instead of what was right in God's eyes. And Samson, who's supposed to be leading the people spiritually, he's fallen into the same trap. So she looks good to me. According to my perspective, she's the one I want. I'm trusting my heart. My heart says she's the one. And God says, you're not honoring, you're not doing what I've called you to do. There's a way that seems right to you, but there's, a, there's the way that God created you to live. And he's inviting them into that kind of belief and that kind of life. Remember, God wanted to create something new on earth with this people, a people that stood out as different. In the ancient world, part of that meant not marrying outside of family of faith. And as we move into the New Testament, we see Paul continuing to call us to think about who we connect our lives to, that they would share our belief in Jesus. 
that we would live in a different way. Samson's disobedient to this. He doesn't trust that God has the best plan. So he says, I want her, get her for me. Sounds like an ungrateful toddler in Toys R Us or something, right? And the story continues through chapter 14. You can skim through there if you'd like. Let me summarize as we go through. Samson travels to see this woman. And on the way, he comes across a lion. And in verse six of chapter 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. So he tore the lion apart. Instead of being killed by this lion, he tears, this is his first kind of supernatural, it's like his first hero act. Like instead of the lion eating him, he, he kills the lion and he leaves the carcass there on the side of the road. A few months later, he's traveling to his wedding to this woman, this marriage ceremony for this woman, and he sees the lion again. He's been dead for a while and now there's a, a bees, bees have created a hive inside of the lion. There's honey inside the lion carcass with this beehive. And so he gets some honey out of there and he eats it as he walks along the way. And then he goes to his wedding party and at the wedding party, they, they, they get 30 men to kind of be his attendants. And these men are around him and they're having a good time at the party. And Samson decides to throw a little, a little riddle at them. So look at, look at verse 12 of chapter 14. Remember the, the lion and the beehive, this bee image for this part of his story. Verse 12, he says, let me, let me tell you a riddle, Samson said. If, if, you, if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer to this riddle, you must give me 30 linen gar- garments and 30 sets of clothes. Clothing was like currency back then, right? You, they didn't have full um, closets. They had maybe one or two sets of clothes. So this is, this is how they were going to wager with each other. Tell us your riddle, these 30 men say. Let's hear it. So they, they're in. They're like, let's do this. So Samson replies, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. It's part of why this is such a great story, these riddles. I mean, it feels a little bit like Frodo and Gollum and and the Hobbit, right? This little back and forth that they're having. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And and Samson, he's he's thinking of the beehive and the lion carcass, and this riddle, obviously that's the answer to his riddle, but none of these guys have seen the the lion carcass. None of them know the answer. It's an impossible riddle, and he knows it, and that's why he throws it at them. And they quickly realize there's no answer to this. We don't know the answer. So they go to his wife, if you keep reading through here, they go to his wife and say, you got to figure out the answer for us. You figure it out. You got seven days of this feast. And if you don't figure it out, we're going to burn you to death and we're going to burn your family. Because the Philistines don't mess around with riddles. They take them seriously. They're like, we need our clothes, you know? We don't want to lose our clothes. So this is serious. And so she begs Samson to tell her the answer. And, and eventually Samson you know, says, okay, here's what it is. And he tells her, he saw this lion carcass with the beehive in it. And she tells the people and they come to him. So look at verse uh, 18. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town say to him, they come to him and we got the answer. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? Samson's like, ah, says to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. You want to know when the honeymoon's over in a wedding? The marriage? when you call your spouse a cow. That's when things aren't going well in the relationship. If you had not plowed with my heifer, I want to see that in a fortune cookie or something. And that's a, that is quite a statement by Samson. So they, they get, you know, he's angry. So he goes and he beats up 30 other guys and he steals their clothes and he comes back to them, gives them the clothes. And, and uh, this fox, uh, this, uh, this bee kind of represents this image of Samson's life in this season of his life where he's just, he doesn't trust God. He doesn't do what God has called him to do. He thinks that he knows what is best. He ignores the way of life that God created him for. He doesn't care what's right in God's eyes. He's going to do what looks good to him. And so he begins to interact with the Philistine people. He wants a wife. These are the people that God was asking him to help lead Israel away from. And instead he's moving in. 
It shows that he's just got to grow in his understanding of what God has called him to. So we move into uh, the next chapter and we see that uh, he's not learning any lessons here. His, uh, his new father-in-law gives his wife away to another person because she gave the answer to the riddle and the father-in-law assumes that he doesn't want to be married anymore. So he finds out about that. So he goes and beats up some more Philistines and, and they come after him again. And so he, here's what he says in, in verse uh, three of, of chapter 15. He says, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I'm going to really harm them. Gave my wife away. I'm going to really get back at them. So he captures, at the beginning of chapter 15, he captures 300 foxes. I don't know how he did that. But he ties them together in twos and puts a torch between their tails. He lights the torch on fire and he sends them out into the fields of the Philistines. And these foxes burn down the, the entire crop of the Philistines, all their orchards, their, their vineyards, their, their, their wheat fields, all of it is burned down. This fox is this image for this part of his, his life, the icon that we're going to talk about. And of course, the Philistines retaliate and they go back to their old threat and they burn his was who was going to be his wife. They burn her and her family to death and kill her. So Samson gets upset and he goes back, takes out a bunch more of them. And you, you see this back and forth. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You do something wrong to me, I'm going to do something wrong to you. And, and, and Samson has no impulse control. He has no self-control. He gets hurt, he hurts back. That's his impulse and that's what he does. We see it happening time and time again. This is how often, often this is how we live our lives as well. Someone hurts us, we hurt them back. The fox represents this idea of not being able to control ourselves, revenge, hurting others, this impulse to get even, or at least what we think is even. And this, this is what Samson struggles with. It's one of his internal weaknesses based on his pride. So eventually, the, the Philistines get some of his own people to come to him and try to get him tricked so, they, so the Philistines can capture him. So in chapter 15, verse 11... It says, then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom where Samson's staying. 3,000 of Judah, the people of Israel, his own people come to him. And they say, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What, you, what have you done to us? And Samson answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. This is the phrase that sort of sums up this part of his story, the fox icon. I only did to them what they did to me. This is how life goes. You get hurt, you hurt back. Someone takes from you, you take from them. This is how Samson is living his life, and it's not what God created him for. God created us to learn how to love one another, to share life together. He invites us to live with grace for one another, to offer kindness and peace even to those who disagree with us, even to those who would take from us. That's why Jesus called us to a different way of life. And I would love to be able to say that in the church, we don't do this, right? In the church, we do this right. But even in the church, we sometimes hurt each other. We sometimes uh, come against each other. I don't know about you. Maybe you've had an experience in a church where you've been hurt. That's one of the reasons in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a coffee talk on, on Saturday, August 26th, to talk about church trauma. When you've been hurt in the church, when you've been hurt by spiritual leaders in your life, because we hurt each other. We don't live out what Christ called us to live out. And in the New Testament, in, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said these words. He says, do, not, do, to others as they would do to others as you would like them to do to you. Don't do what they do to you. Do what you'd like them to do. Treat them as you'd want to be treated. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those, just like us, those of us who are unthankful and wicked. 
is kind. So you be kind and you learn to love those who come against you. Samson didn't live this way. So these 3,000 men come to him and they say, come on, what are you doing? He says, all right, tie me up and you can turn me over to the Philistines. And he knows that the, bind, the, the, way, the ropes they tie him up with aren't going to hold. So we look at verse 14. It says, as Samson was approaching Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting and the spirit of the Lord came on Samson in power and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. It's a lot of people to strike down. I've uh, seen movies where weird things were used as weapons. Maybe you have too, like, you know, a newspaper, a seatbelt, a pencil. Here, Samson picks up a jawbone of a donkey and uses it as his weapon. Now, when we talked about his origin story, we talked about how uh, he was a Nazarite. He had taken on a Nazarite vow from when he was born. His whole life, he would be a Nazarite. And there are three parts of that vow. You guys remember these? First, he would never cut his hair. So he had long braided hair as an older adult. Second, he would never have anything from the vineyard, no wine, no grapes, uh, no raisins, nothing from the vineyard. And third, he would never touch anything dead. Those are the, the vows he took that were put on him and that he lived under. Well, here he, he touches a dead donkey for the jawbone. So right away we see him moving away from what God had asked of him, breaking that vow. And there's a phrase in here in this passage, I just want to kind of turn aside for a moment from the story because there's a phrase here and it's the third time we've seen this phrase in chapter 14 and 15. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came on him in power. And I don't know if, you're, if it's hitting you, but when I've read through this passage, it hits me. Like, why would God, the Spirit of God, empower Samson to do the things that he did? Because here we have Samson, a disobedient leader, an impulsive judge, an out-of-control and violent man, but he's filled with the Spirit of God and he kills a thousand people. How is it that this, how does this make, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why God would choose to, to work through him in this way. Because scripture makes it clear to us that God is a God of love, not violence. The Bible makes it clear that God is a God of life, not death. So what are we supposed to do with stories like Samson's, like stories of the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, when God seems to be working through violent men to do things? And honestly, I don't have a complete answer for myself or for you. This is something I struggle and wrestle with. I've gotten insights and ideas, and there's ways maybe to make your way through, but nothing is really been satisfactory to me. But one thing I hold on to, I believe in God. I believe scripture is the word of God. And I believe that he is good and faithful. And it doesn't always make sense to me. And actually, the fact it doesn't make sense to me, makes sense to me. Because I, I am not God. We are not God. And if God is God, then there are things he's going to do. There's going to be ways that he moves in this world that's not going to make sense to us because we are not him. If God is greater than I am, if he is holy and beyond my understanding and comprehension, then there are going to be things about him that don't add up in our minds. And Samson's parents already were kind of dealing with that in chapter 14, verse 14. Remember that little parenthetical statement? It said his parents did not know this was from the Lord. They didn't understand what God was doing. Well, God, God was using Samson, their son, to drive a wedge between the people of Israel and the Philistine people. They'd blended together. The people of Israel had started to look like the Philistines. And God said, I called you out to live differently. So he said, I'm going to use Samson to drive a wedge between these two people groups to make a distinction that is apparent. And he was taking Samson's violence to do that, to help call the people back to himself. Now, again, we're not going to always understand, but I think one of the things we can learn from this passage is that, that God will allow things to happen, sometimes even empower things to happen that seem wrong to us, but serve a greater purpose. It may not be right in our eyes, 
But that doesn't mean that it's right, not right in God's eyes. He is with us and, and guiding even in the things we don't understand. And God said as much in the Old Testament. He spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And God said this. He said, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars as high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. The way I think is beyond the way you think. The Spirit of God fills and empowers sinful people and works through them. And that may not make sense to us. But aren't we the examples of that in some ways? That we are given the Spirit of God when we become followers of Christ, and yet we are still sinful. We still push away from God. We still rebel. I love God with all my heart. I've received Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He's forgiven me. He's renewed me. He's given me a new kind of life, and he fills me with the, the power of his Spirit to work and to do things for him, to bring glory to God. And yet, I still sin. I'm still broken. And yet, the Spirit of God empowers me and is a gift that he gives to us. So when you follow Christ, he gives you the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, King David would write, uh, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But in the New Testament, we see that's no longer something we have to pray because God says, I will give you the Spirit as a gift, as a seal over your life. You don't earn it. You're going to mess up, but I'm going to continue. The Spirit of God will not leave you. It will stay connected to your life, even when you push away, even in your failure. And Paul wrote about this in the New Testament. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. He said, I'm the worst. And then he said this, you also became believers in Christ. That happened when you heard the message of truth. It was the good news about how you could be saved. And when you believed, when we believed, he says, God marked us with a seal. The seal is the Holy Spirit that he promised. The Spirit marks us as God's own. We can now be sure that someday we will receive all that God has promised. When we surrender our lives to the way of Jesus, believe in the truth of Jesus, find new life through the forgiveness of Jesus. The Spirit of God fills us with hope and power and joy. And, and it will not be taken, he will not be taken from us. Now we can grieve the Holy Spirit, right? We can quench the Holy Spirit. Scripture talks about that. But it is a gift that you have been given. And even though we sin, even though we make mistakes, God continues to work through us. I don't understand that. It might seem off to us. There's times when we want God to do certain things in our way, and he, and he doesn't, and we don't understand. The healing that we're wanting, it might not come the way we hoped it would, or maybe not in the time when we wanted. That relationship might not be restored and reestablished according to what is right in my eyes. That painful loss may not be corrected, even though hundreds are praying with you for God to do something. It may not seem right in our eyes, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working, that God isn't bringing all things together for the good of those who love him that God isn't working, even when we don't see it. So we jump back into Samson's story, a story that doesn't make sense every time to us. We come to the last chapter 16 of his story, and last little icon picture we're using is the razor. Chapter 15 ends with the statement, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, with all the other judges, it kind of their story would end with a statement about how they led Israel for this many years and there was peace in the land. So uh, Othanel was our first judge. And when he led the people, said there was peace in the land for 40 years. Same thing for Gideon. Same thing with Deborah, these different judges who led the people. But with Samson, there's no peace. See that in the, past, the text right there? It says he led during the time of the Philistines. There wasn't peace. And it was half the time, 20 years that he led because of his pride, because of his brokenness and selfishness. Those are the consequences of his life. And Samson falls in love in chapter 16, falls in love with another woman named Delilah. 
but she doesn't fall in love with him. And she's paid off by the enemies, his enemies, to figure out how he's so strong all the time. And it echoes back to his first wife's story, how she got the riddle, the answer to the riddle out of him. Well, now they're paying his, this woman, Delilah, and says, you find out, how is it that he's so strong? And we will give you, we'll give you all sorts of money. So she gets into this relationship with Samson and tries to figure it out, and he lies to her over and over again. The first time he says, well, if you tie me up with seven new bowstrings, I won't be able to break them. So she ties him up with seven bowstrings and wakes him up, says, the Philistines are here, and he breaks them like they're nothing. And, he, and she's like, you told me you'd lose your strength. You know? So he lies to her again. He says, well, you need a new rope. If you get a new rope, I'll lose my strength. Again, it's a lie. She does the same thing, ties him up. Philistines are here. He rips through that rope like it's nothing. Like he's, I'm like, Samson, are you catching on? Like she's using every answer to kind of steal your strength. He does it a third time. He says, if you take my hair and weave it into a fabric on the womb and leave, the, leave it attached to the womb, I'll lose my strength. And I was getting into his hair. He's like getting closer to the truth. And so she does the very same thing again. And he wakes her. The Philistines are here and he stands up and he rips his hair. I would like to see a loom going across the room. You know, as he jumps up. And, and finally, she's, she confronts him. Look at verse uh, 15 of, of chapter 16 here. Then Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you? When you won't confide in me. Well, maybe it's because he's, he's confiding you three times and you're using it against him. Why, why won't you tell me the truth? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Has anybody ever nagged you to death? You know, Samson gets it. He's with you. So finally, he says, here's how you do it. You shave my head. If I, if I don't have hair, I'll lose my strength. Jump down to verse 19. Having put Samson to sleep on her lap, Delilah called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, like she had before. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's the statement I think is connected to this razor icon, kind of the sad statement at the end of his life. He was not aware that the spirit of God had left him. He was so spiritually dull, so apathetic in his faith that he wasn't even aware that his strength was gone. He didn't know he was disconnected from God, isolated from him. He thought, I'll just get out of bed and do what I always do. But he didn't have the power. Spirit wasn't with him. And so the Philistines capture him and they enslave him and they remove his eyes, they gouge his eyes out. They put him to work grinding grain in the prison. And if you want to read the rest of chapter 16, you see he has one last chance where his strength returns and he takes them all out in one last feat of strength that destroys uh, thousands of lives. And you kind of left wondering, well, what was the point of his life, you know? Because they're still under the control of the Philistines. He didn't bring them freedom. He just got even. But his spiritual dullness, his apathy is a lesson for us because we can fall into the same kind of traps. We can fall into the same kind of apathy, not expecting God to do anything new in our life, not expecting God to move in new ways. Our hearts, passion, our faith can slowly burn out and we just become apathetic about the things of God and the purposes of his kingdom. And that's why Paul would write to his protege, Timothy, in the New Testament and remind him to stay spiritually hot. Second uh, Timothy 1, Paul would write, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit of God gave us not the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline, kind of the opposite of Samson's life. This is what the spirit of God does when we fan into flame our faith, when we stay passionate about what God is doing, when we, when we expect God to do great things. 
We lean into the Spirit's work in us. We have access to the power of God, the love of God, the self-control that God can empower in us. So instead of disobedience and a, a lack of trust, we can have the power to do life. Instead of impulsiveness and a lack of control, we can experience mastery over our temptations. Instead of an apathetic heart and a lack of faith, we can know the love of God. I want to give you one way to really lean into that as we move into the fall one way to really experience a different kind of life if you find yourself drifting into what Samson was experiencing. And it's wisdom that was written about not long after Samson's life, maybe a hundred years after he lived. One of the kings of Israel would write in Proverbs 27, these words, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You want to keep your faith white hot. You want to keep your faith uh, sharp. Allow others to challenge you in how you experience God's presence. Move into community with others that they can help you see God in new ways. Read scripture and pray for one another that God might use your fellow brothers and sisters of faith to, to challenge you and grow your understanding of God's goodness and grace. This is one of the reasons we gather in small community groups as a, as a church community. We, we get together every fall. We launch into another 12 weeks together in small groups, support, care groups, and ministry teams. As we move into January, into the new year, we do another 12 weeks together where we meet and read scripture and pray for one another and serve together because iron sharpens iron because we can help each other stay awake spiritually, stay hot in our faith and our passion for God. Many of you are connecting in small groups already. Some of you, that might be a new thing for you to think about considering. I want, I want you to think about that. Over the next few weeks, you'll have an opportunity to, to sign up for 12 weeks this fall to meet with a group of people, to pray and to read scripture and to get to know one another, that your faith might grow, your faith might increase as you walk through this life, as we serve together. You know, over the last month, we've been gathering backpacks for some of our local partners. And I know there's a couple small groups that were challenging each other to do that, to engage in that work together. And so we had a goal of 40 backpacks and we ended up with 80 backpacks instead. And I think it's because small groups are working together on it. We got a picture from Mission Adelante of uh, their kids receiving those backpacks. And it's a great picture. Um, they're pretty excited. Uh, so <laughs> uh, Luis, who works on staff there, sent us a little note about it. He said, he said, your donation of backpacks and school supplies has brought immeasurable joy to the kids in our community. Your support creates a meaningful impact on the lives of these children. What Luis was saying is that because you're living differently, you're bringing light dark places. You're bringing hope to hopelessness. You're bringing life to those who are not sure if God sees them and cares about them. And this is exactly what God wanted for the people of Israel, to be a blessing to the world, to, to, to live in a different way. And so today he calls us out in the same way, to live in ways that may not always seem right in our eyes, but that are right in God's eyes, to learn how to love our enemies, to treat others as we would want to be treated, to see people who maybe look different than us or experience life different to, than us, to see them as brothers and sisters in this journey, that every person you encounter is made in the image of God. You will not lock eyes with anyone today who God did not bring into the existence, who did not breathe his life into. And we get to invite them into a way of life with Jesus that makes us different. This is the joy you're invited into. And as you meet with others, as you share life together in small community groups and in care groups, you, you experience that kind of transformation. So come talk with me about it. Talk with Nate Severson about it, other pastors on staff. We want to help you get connected this fall in a group so you can grow in your faith that you might live in a different way. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close together in prayer. 
I want to pray with you and invite God to help us continue to see him at work, to surrender our lives to him and trust that he's working. So uh, let's pray together. Will you talk to God with me? Father God, we thank you for this time together this morning to lift our voices in song, to just lift up the name of Jesus and invite you to continue to help us see that you you are working in the world today. You are working in our lives. Father God, we're so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us through scripture, through your son Jesus. You have showed us what love and grace looks like, what mercy and new life is all about. And you invite us to walk in that today. So would you help us, Father? Would you help us release our pride? Help us release control, uh, having to understand everything about our lives and instead trust you that you are good and faithful and you know exactly what we're facing today. You know the hill in front of us. You know the valley behind us, Lord. You, you know what we've, going, we've gone through and what we're going through. And you say, I am with you. I love you. I have you. You are mine. And you give us power to live this life in redemptive ways. So we invite you, Spirit of God, would you fill us again? And would you call us back to yourself? Would you equip us and empower us that today we might bring light to dark places? That we might be hope and grace in our family among our friends, our coworkers, at school, in our neighborhood. Lord, allow us not to fall into apathy. Help us not to just focus on what we can control. Open our hearts to you in a fresh way. We need you, Father God. We praise you. We thank you for this new life you give us because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up. Every Sunday, we have volunteers up front here to pray with you and encourage you. As we've been talking this morning, if you felt like God's been saying something to your heart, come up and let us pray with you and encourage you. As you go, uh, drop those connection cards and your offering in the joy boxes in the back of the room. That's where we celebrate generosity uh, here at Hillcrest. So continue to celebrate that. Go with God. Uh, He's working in your life today. Look for the ways he wants you to bring light to, to your family. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.